So the title of my message tonight is Muttering Lips, Muttering Lips. You'll figure that out, what that means as we go through the text. Muttering, muttering lips. So before we get into John 7, I just want to ask you a question to kind of introduce uh, maybe, you know, kind of the, the theme of this section of scripture that we're going to cover about muttering lips um, and about God's timing and his plan. Uh, the question is this, have you ever been impatient while waiting on the Lord to fulfill his plan? You ever been impatient? I mean, I mean, you can be impatient, generally speaking. I've been impatient before. My wife, I've never been impatient with my wife. Fingers crossed, toes crossed. <laughs> I'm not lying. Um, but I have been impatient with my wife, uh, to my shame. But t- typically speaking, a lot of us struggle with patience. And, and when it comes to God's plan for our life, it's difficult to be patient. How many of you have felt like you've had a promise from the Lord that you just have not seen fulfilled yet? And you just, you're waiting on the timing of the Lord. And uh, it's just hard to remain patient, to trust, to believe that what God said, he's going to fulfill. And so this idea, this, not this idea, but this reality that God has a plan. And not only has a plan, but he has a timing for a plan. is something that I think is important for us to understand and to, to, to grasp well. And so I was thinking personally, as I was um, thinking about this introduction and talking about being impatient and waiting on the timing of, of the Lord, you know, I, I can't help but as, as we're on the, on the edge of the end of this transition, I mean, this is, this is what my brain thinks about. I'm, we are a week and a half, um, we're a week and a half from being done with, with this. And starting a whole lot and starting something new um, and so a week and a half that's like that's just right there we're gonna Pastor Nate's gonna preach on Sunday and and then that's the final week and then we, we were uh, talking this morning with Pastor Nate we're talking about our, the final service on March 4th and so we want to have worship like we normally do and we want to have prayer time and so I asked him this morning I said so, so do you really want to have prayer time on Sunday morning on March 4th and invite the people to come get prayer, and everyone in the building is going to know it's your last Sunday? I said, because I think when you're standing right there, there's going to be a line down the center aisle wrapping around. I said, if you're up for it, we can do it. So he said, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's see what happens. So there's no timetable on Sunday. Timetable's out the window. We'll see what happens. It's his final service, and so uh, we'll just go with it. But it took a while to get here. And I have not been patient through the whole process. It has been difficult to trust God's timing. October of 2014 was the first time Pastor Nate approached me about the possibility of being the next senior pastor. And he didn't approach me about being the next senior pastor in reality. He approached me about taking his place if he dropped dead. Basically, he didn't use those words. But he said... You know, uh, Josh Bourgeois was the one that was, gonna, was kind of in the chain, in the line that they were considering as the possible next senior pastor. And then God said, for Josh, I have something else for you. So Josh moved off to Baton Rouge and planted a church. And, and so then the, from what I remember about the conversation in, in 2014, he said, you know, the board would like to know that if something would happen to you, 
who would take your place. And so he's looking at me, I'm in his office, and he says, if something happens to me, would you be okay with taking the church? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> That's fine. We can, I guess we can handle that. Now, in my heart, I, I had a desire to be a, a pastor of a church, you know? But, so, but I had no idea, you know, like, what does this mean? This is just an indefinite period of time. Back then, he was 63. And uh, I knew Clyde would know, 63 years old. And from my perspective, he's, he's, he was healthy then. He's still healthy now. He could continue right now for another decade. And if he's healthy, I mean, preaching, I mean, you just got to stand up here and preach, right? <laughs> That's all pastoring is. And, um, and so I didn't know how long it would be. So, so this from 14 until a week and a half until the transition, there was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of times of impatience, a lot of times of frustration, a lot of times of unknowns, when, if. I mean, he, 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 would, he would tell me, oh, yeah, I'm thinking five years, and then he'd have a meeting with all the staff uh, during the week, and he'd, he'd tell them, you know, hey, as long as I'm healthy, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here maybe five, six, seven, eight, ten years. I'm like, oh. <laughs> really Pastor Renee like seriously and so then I would want it to speed up or, 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 or would at least want some clarity and then once I got clarity then, then, then I'm like oh <laughs> really 2018 like this is this is wow this is a big deal and so I quit being as impatient and so uh, honestly people ask me I've had lots of you ask me people that don't go to the church I see that know me uh, know what's going on and they'll ask me are you excited and, and you know it's an interesting feeling I, I am I don't want to tell you I'm not excited because I am excited but I'm not like this giddy Christmas morning excited I'm not I'm just like deep breath okay Lord yes I'm going to step into this and that's how I feel I feel just the weight of it. And so I don't, I'm not impatient about anything because I know, you know, March 5th is coming and I know that I've got to preach March 11th and I know I've got staff meeting on March 5th. I know I've got this. I know I've got that. I know I've got a wife and four kids. I know I've got all this going on. So it's interesting though, when you don't, when you don't see now and you're way over here and you're thinking, God, you have a plan it's just so easy to forget that God has a timing for everything. And we need to be reminded of that, that God has a timing and that our timing is not always the best timing. Sometimes in our life, we line up with the timing of God and God, we, we, we feel his leading and we take a step and it's, it's in his timing. But I think in my life, and you would say the same thing in your life, that a lot of times it's like, kind of like grasping in the air, trying to figure it out. And, and it's hindsight. When we look back, we see, oh, I see now. I see what you were doing. I understand it now. I get it. So God has a plan for me. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for your individual lives. And he has not just a plan, but a perfect timing for the plan. God doesn't miss anything. He doesn't miss anything, doesn't mess up anything. What he orders, what he orchestrates, what he designs, he's going to fulfill it. And it's going to be at the right time. And it's our responsibility to have Jesus' perspective that we're going to see in John 7. We have to have the same perspective 
that Jesus has that we're going to see. And, and this perspective we're going to look at in John 7, you see it throughout the Gospels. There's several occurrences in the life of Jesus, conversations that he has. You recognize in his life, he recognizes that God has a plan. And not only does he have a plan and he's submitting to that plan, he's submitting to the timing of that plan. So let's look at John 7. We'll read the first 13 verses and we'll look at just this, this, this picture of God's timing, God's plan. What are God's plans? What's the heart of God's plan? And let's read the first 13 verses and we'll see what the Lord says to us here. Um, so just before we read the first 13 verses, at the end of chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7, there's approximately about a six-month gap in time between where we left off in 6 and we're picking up in chapter 7. And we're picking up in chapter 7 at the beginning of the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles would have happened around the month of October. September to October. It was a, a one week period. And it would be a feast to, co- to, co- to commemorate uh, uh, the children of Israel's journey in the wilderness. And God's provision for them. And this was one of the more popular feasts. And so... At, at, at this feast, the, the Jewish men would, would head to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And so this is the context. It's around September, October. It's the week of the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths or Shelters, as, as it could be called. And so we're picking up right here. And this is the context of the conversation. So after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about into Judea. Judea. Was a, was a region, and Jerusalem was in the center of the region of Judea, and in Jerusalem is where the Jews would go to celebrate the feast. It's where the temple was, and so that's where they would go. And so it says, after this, Jesus stayed in Galilee, in the other region. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths, or tabernacles, was at hand. So his brothers, Jesus had brothers. He had half-brothers, because uh, he came from the Holy Spirit, but they had the same mother. And so his half-brothers, four half-brothers, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. So they're saying, hey, you need to go. Us Jews, we go. You've been doing a lot of mighty miracles. You need to go to the feast, and you need to show who you are. For no one works in secret if... He seeks to be known openly. Or some translations, when you read it, it says no one works in secret if he wants to be popular or he wants to be famous. No one, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, if you do these miracles, if you do these works, show yourself. Show yourself. You need to let people see who you are, his brothers are saying. For not even his brothers believed in him. They were taunting him. They were testing him. They were, they were like... They were like those people that were the false followers, the false seekers in John 6. They were only following him for after the signs for, for, because their bellies were filled. His brothers were like that. They didn't come to, to believe yet. Now they do come to believe. James was one of his brothers. He wrote the book of James we have in our New Testament. And then Jude, Judas, but for short Jude, we have the book of Jude in our New Testament. And they came to faith in Jesus. But at this point, before the resurrection, they did not believe in him. You, you can imagine why, right? Be like your brother telling you that he was the son of God. It seems like the miracles might, would have demonstrated something for them, but they still had unbelief in their heart. For not even his brothers believed in him. So in answer to their question, answer to their, not question, but into their, into their imploring of him to go to Jerusalem, go to the feast, go. 
Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And why, why was Jesus not going? It said earlier, he said, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So what was the time Jesus was talking about? The time of his death, right? Jesus knew that there was an appointed time for him to be crucified. So he knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he went to the temple, if he went there openly and did what he was doing in in the region of Galilee, that they were going to kill him because he knew that they would eventually do it. He knew that their hatred for him because he was undermining, from their perspective, he was undermining their rules and their regulations and their ceremonies and their laws. And so they, they looked at him as a blasphemer and so they were going to kill him and he knew it, but his answer was this. My time has not yet come. It is not God's time yet. And I have to submit. He's saying, I'm submitting. But your time is always here. Some other translations say, you can always go. Basically, you go. You go to the feast. My time is not yet here. If I go, they're going to kill me. I'm, I'm not going. It's not my time yet. But you, 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 you go. Your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. Why can't the world hate an, un- an unbeliever? Because an unbeliever is like the world. They're of the world. So the world can't hate you like it hates me. But it hates me because I testify about it that its works are, are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. He says it again. My time's not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. This is interesting. Then he also went up. He he also went up, but not publicly, but in private. He hid himself. Why? Because the Jews were looking for him. Verse 11, at the feast. So he hid and saying, this is what the Jews were saying, where, where is he? He's a Jewish male. He should be here. If he's a good teacher, if he's a rabbi, if he's a faithful Jew who knows the law, who follows the feast, where is he? He should be here. And there was much, say that word with me, muttering, muttering lips. There had a lot of muttering lips going on. There was much muttering about him. So what, what does it mean to mutter? It's like this low tone here. There's a lot, a lot of muttering, a lot of talk about him among the people. While some said, in a muttering tone, he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. No one spoke openly of him. They just spoke in muttering terms, muttering tones. It's an interesting section, huh? It's interesting. So here, here's what I see in this text. Here's, here's what I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us through this text. The first thing is this, is that God always fulfills his plans in his perfect time. Notice how I phrase that. God always fulfills his plans in his perfect time. I didn't say God always fulfills our plans in his perfect time. Man makes his plans, but the Lord directs or orders his steps. We make lots of plans. How many planners do we have here tonight? You guys are any planners? You you like to plan out your day? How many of you are planners and you have young children? (laughs) How many of you know Man makes their plans, but children, order your steps. <laughs> Man, look, we can make our plans. We can set our agenda. Our day. I was talking to my brother, Andrew, and they have a six-month-old baby girl named Audrey Grace. Sweet little girl. But sweet little Audrey Grace needs a nap every two hours. 
That's what he told me. I picked him up from the airport. I'm thinking, every two hours, unbelievable. And so they go on vacation. They had planned a vacation before they knew they were pregnant. So they went, they went ahead and went on, on, the, on the vacation. And he said their agenda was completely determined by that six-month-old six cute little girl. And, and so, so that's kind of the idea, right? That we make our plans, but life tends to, to direct our steps. And, and we have to learn to roll with the punches. We have to learn to be flexible, especially with children, especially with unexpected circumstances that, that come up. But the, the reality is, is that when God makes a plan, there's no napless baby, there's no unforeseen circumstance, there's nothing that can stop God's plans from being fulfilled in his timing. Nothing. Why? Because God's in charge. God's the boss. Who's the boss? God is the boss. So when God says, Ben Buskin, you need to marry Estelle Foray, it's going to happen because it's in God's plan. When God says, Ben Buskin, I want you to pastor a living word church starting in 2018, it's going to happen because it's a part of his plan. When God says, I have called you to do this, I want you to write that book, I want you to to take that job, I I have this for you, I have that for you. Whatever God's plans are for you, it's going to happen if it's from him. If it's a part of his will. If it's not a part of his will. And that's where the confusion comes in. We can, we can think that we know God's will. We can think we understand what God's plan is. But we don't always get it. Because there's something that gets in the way. It's our finite mind. It's our self-centered motivations. It's our, it's, it's, it's our limited view of everything. And it can get it in the way. You know... Sometimes we pray for things, and we want to see things happen. We pray, we pray, we pray. We don't see things happen, and, and we can think, well, God, God's not, God doesn't hear me. God's not working. We can be like my little Reagan that said that God doesn't listen to her because her bobos aren't healed. But a lot of times what's happening is, is that we, we, we're not praying according to the will of God. We're praying according to our own will, our own desires. And so the, the, the balance, what we're looking for, is that our lives would be submitted to the will of God in the ordinary things in our life. And the things that we know are his will. That, that, that's what we can do. I can't control the uncontrollable. I can't, I can't make things happen that I have no control over. But what can I control in, in my life? I can control what I know is the will of the Lord. And what is the will of the Lord? That I would be a godly man. That I would be faithful on my job. That I, would not, that, that I would not be mean to my wife and, and disrespectful. That I would love her as Christ loves the church. It is the will of God that I would be truthful and honest, a man of my word. It is, it is the will of God that I would be a servant leader as a pastor. It is the, the will of God that I would be generous and give. It is the will of God and we could go on and on and on. And these are the, this is the will of God. It is the known will of God. And if you will busy yourself doing what you know is the will of the Lord. God will, God will, step by step, moment by moment, unfold his unknown will. And, you, and, and a lot of times you, you won't even recognize it. I mean, I, I could just sit here and talk about myself and my experiences, and that's not what I'm here to do. But it has happened over and over again in our lives. We have just busied ourselves doing the known will of God, and all of a sudden we take a step and it's like, well, I didn't see that coming. So you just have to learn to take your desires and say, God, 
Just, just like Jesus. It's, it's, not, it, it may not, it's not my time yet. I'm submitting to your will. You've given me this desire. God, I don't know if this desire is ultimately from you, but I know what your will is, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor you in this. I'm going to honor you in that. I'm going to submit to your word. It's God's will that we would submit to his word. And then you wait on God's perfect timing. Jesus' statement, if, if you think back, he said that statement over and over again, my time's not yet come. He said it in John 2. He, again, he, he had this understanding that God has a plan and God has a timing and his commitment is to obey. Obey the will of God. To obey him. John 2, 4. Jesus' Jesus's mother Mary came to him. There was a wedding feast. He says, Jesus, you need to you need to help them out. They ran out of wine. And what does he say in John 2, 4? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Again, he had this understanding. He under, now, now, Jesus had a little leg up on us, right? He understood, he understood God's will in everything. Why? Because he was God. He was fully God and fully man. We don't have that, that leg up like he has. But the principle is the same. He was obedient to God's known will. He knew that it was not his time yet, and he was obedient to his father. You see in John 8, verses 19 through 20, the Pharisees are questioning him, talking to him, and therefore he said to them, therefore, where is your father? They said to him, the Pharisees said, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. No one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't his time. It wasn't God's timing yet. Jesus had a commitment to follow God's plan. So this is what I'm telling you. you We have to have the same type of commitment to follow God's plan. And we know God's plan, right? You know God's plan. Some of you have lots of questions about your life. And you want to know, some of you here, you're single. And you feel like, you know, God's called you to marry. God's placed that in your heart. But you don't know who it is that you're supposed to marry. You just have to, you have to follow God's plan. What is God's plan? That you would be somebody that lives as a single young adult. That you live in purity. That you guard your heart and your eyes. That you, that, 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 that you are faithful where God has planted you. You just get busy living your life in a way that honors God. And God will Order your steps. He will bring that spouse to you at the, at, at the right time. I wasn't looking for my wife when I found her. The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I, I, I found her, but it was almost like I stumbled upon her, you know? But I, I just busied myself trying by the power of the Spirit to honor him. And we have to have that same type, type of commitment in our life. God, I am committed I am committed to submitting to the fathers. We are committed to living a life that is submitted to scripture, submitted to your word. Jesus had a complete dependence on and commitment to the father's sovereign timetable for his life. And it's those moments of impatience that we have to say, God, I have to stop. I have to stop being impatient. It's not my will, but your will be done. My will is that I would have what I want right now. But God, it's not about me. And I'm going to quit being impatient. I'm going to stop and I'm going to trust you. And I'm just going to do what I know I need to do. And that's just to be faithful. To trust you, to obey you. We too must trust in God and his plan for our life. So, 
thought about this scripture when we're thinking about being patient. When you're impatient, what can it tend to cause in your life? Anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry and doubt. And one of my favorite scriptures that talks about anxiety, favorite section of scriptures is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I just want to read this to us all. It says, Jesus, Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious or worried about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being impatient and anxious and worried, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I I would say this as well. If God takes care of, of, of creation and sets it in order and everything works perfectly to sustain life on planet earth, if God does that, and has a plan for that, takes care of that, how much more will he take care of you? And how much more will he fulfill his plan for your life in his timing? He's going to. And being anxious about it and worried about it and fretting about it is not gonna, it's not gonna help. It's not gonna add anything to your life. It's gonna take from you. Therefore, excuse me, verse 31, therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. This is what I'm talking about. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek to honor God. Obey God in what you know is his will through his word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these unknown things, these things that you can't control, they'll be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So that's the first thing I see. There's a clear picture right here in John chapter 7 that Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father. He was submitted to be obedient to God. And and, and we have to have that same desire, that same commitment in in our hearts. God, I am going to submit to you. I'm going to lean and trust you. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding In all of my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you, and you're going to direct my path. You're going to order my steps. I'm going to submit. I'm going to follow what I know is clearly your will. You guys with me? You know, sometimes sometimes it's easier said than done, and, and, and I know we go through seasons in our life where it's easier to submit to God's plan and, and it and not be anxious. But just be reminded when you're in that in those difficult seasons where you're waiting on God. You're waiting for something to open up for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life. Just remember that no amount of anxiousness, no amount of worry, no amount of wringing your hands and fretting is going to do anything to make that happen any sooner. When God is ready, when God is ready to unfold his plan for your life, he'll, he'll unfold it. You just have to worry about what you can control 
And that is living a life of obedience and trust in him. Second thing I see in this is that God's plans, and this is where we're headed. So I'm I'm headed somewhere with you. God's plans center around his glory. See, this is where it separates. God has a plan. They're his plans. God's committed to seeing his plans fulfilled in his timing. But God's plans center around his glory. God's plans center around his glory. And now let's look at John 7. Let's go back to John 7, 1 through 5. Let's see this here. You see, you'll see a difference here. You'll see, you'll see some, some carnal, unbelieving men have one idea about the plan that God has for their brother Jesus. And then you, we see that Jesus understood the plan. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews... Uh, Feast of Booth was at hand. So his brother said, said to him, this is what we read earlier, hey, leave here. Go to Judea. Make a big scene. Do the works you've been doing. Do the miracles. Because no, if you're going to be popular, if you're going to be in the open, if you're going to be known, no, you, you won't do your works in secret if you seek to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself. Demonstrate yourself. Let it be about you. Let people see who you are. If you're truly the Messiah, what, what, what do these Jewish men think, Jesus' brothers think? They think that Jesus believes he's the Messiah. So in their view, a Messiah should do what? Hey, I'm here, and I'm going to demonstrate my power and let you know that I'm here, because I'm here to take over. I'm here to rule my people. I'm here to deliver them from oppression and bondage. And so that, that's, that's their heart there. It's time to go out in the open. It's time to be seen. And then there's some cynicism there too. There's some doubt. There's some unbelief. And they're critical of him. And they're saying, hey, prove yourself then, buddy. This is who, who you really say you are. But they don't get it. That God's plans are about his glory. The glory of, his, of God's name. Not of man's name. And this is, this is where the rub comes in for us. Is when we don't know, we, we feel like God's called us to do certain things, but what happens is, is that God will wait at times to fulfill his plans. He has for us, yes, they can be God's plans. And that desire you have can be the plan of God for you in your life. But if you have not settled in your heart and you don't know to the core of your being that the plan that he has for you is for his glory, God's going to step back and wait. He's going to wait till you're ready to step into that plan so that you will give him glory. So you will give him glory. God knows, God knows your heart better than you know your heart. God knows your motives better than you know your motives. God knows that, God knows that if it's the wrong timing to give you what you have been waiting for, it's the wrong timing and you get it, you make it happen. He knows the condition of your heart and what you will do with it. We don't know what we'll do. We don't know what we'll do yet, but God knows. And so what what does he do? He waits, he prepares, he chisels, he works. He works in our hearts. He prepares us for his plans so that whenever we fulfill his plans, all we are is just a donkey. All we are is just a crooked stick. And so God gets glory through weak people and crooked sticks and donkeys, right? Because it's in our weaknesses that his, his strength is made perfect. God's plans center around his glory. The brother's pressure, don't you think it reminds us of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? Do you guys see the connection there? 
Let's look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. His brothers are very similar to Satan right here. Anybody ever thought your siblings were similar to Satan at some point in your life? I got some siblings right here. This is Estelle's, uh, Estelle's aunt and her dad. And so they're brother and sister. Did you ever think that EJ was evil at times and vice versa? <laughs> I think... My, my father-in-law would tell me because my, because my nanny was the only daughter. And so all the brothers thought, probably had some bad thoughts about their only daughter because she got away with everything, right? Right, EJ? Yeah. <laughs> so you ever thought that, right? And so this is what their brothers probably thought. And so look at what happened in the temptation in the wilderness with Jesus. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Jesus said, The word of God says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, this sounds like his brothers, right? Hey, if you're it, if you're the man, do the miracles, do the works. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And said to him, all these I will give you. Isn't that interesting? The devil had no authority to give that to him. Like he, God owned all of that. Jesus, that, he had all the authority. It was, his, it was his in the first place. If you will fall down and worship me, I'll give them all to you. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the, the brothers didn't get it. And the temptation for Jesus was that he needed to get it. He needed to submit to the timing of God. He needed to submit that this plan that he was submitting to of the Father was not about him, but it was about the glory of his Father, the praise and glory of his heavenly Father. But Satan's number one objective in Jesus' life and his number one objective in our life is to try and steal or diminish God's glory. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about God receiving the glory that is due his name. And Satan, from the beginning, what did Lucifer say when he rebelled? He said, I shall be like the Most High. I'm going to be like God. I will be like him. He was trying to steal some of God's glory for himself. Trying to steal that glory. And the number one objective Satan has for us as believers is that he would, through our lives and in our lives, diminish the glory of God being seen in and through our lives so he does this in a few ways how does he do that in our life as a believer I thought of a few things he does it by tempting us to give up on trusting God and his plans that's one way he can diminish the glory of God is that we just give up again we're talking about right being impatient we just give up we say God I, I, I feel like you have this plan for my life and we just give up And we throw in the towel and we say, you know what? It's just not going to happen. I'm totally walking away from what I believe you've called me to do. That temptation came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus say? He's sweating great drops of blood and he prays to the Father. He says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There was the temptation. 
because of the pressure. And what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, not my way, but your will be done. Second way is he does it by tempting us to take the glory for ourselves. And this is what his brothers were tempting Jesus to do. Hey, demonstrate, show yourself who you are. Satan, before that, had tempted him. Take the power now. I'll give it to you now. You can have it all. Follow me. Do this miracle. Throw yourself down. Demonstrate yourself. He tempts us to take the glory for ourselves. And in return, it diminishes God's glory. He also, he, he tempts, there's a temptation. He tempts us to believe that life is only about us. That it's about our fulfillment. That life, God's plans ultimately terminates in us and our happiness and our temporary success. Also, there's a temptation, there's a tempting of us to think that sin will not cost us greatly. You know, God, God does have plans for our lives. But sin can cost us greatly. You know, and you can be fulfilling God's plan for your life and honoring God in your life. But if you believe the lie of the enemy, that sin will not cost you. As a believer, sin will not cost you. Then the enemy will use you as a tool, as an instrument to diminish the glory of God in the eyes of people who aren't Christians and bring shame to the name of Christ. It's a temptation Satan gives us to think, to think, you know, sin's not gonna really cost me that much. Our sin as believers, it does cost us greatly and it costs God greatly because when we sin openly as believers, unrepentantly as believers, it, it costs us, it impacts us and impacts the lives of those that are around us. A, an, another way in which Satan tries to steal and diminish God's glory is through disunity in the body of Christ. He tempts us to hold on to unforgiveness in the body of Christ, amongst the body of Christ. That's one way in which God's glory is diminished is whenever we, we don't walk in unity. When we, are, when we are hateful towards each other, when we have unforgiveness in our hearts towards each other, it diminishes the glory of God being shown through the life of a body, of, of a church. God's plans always center around his name being glorified. So, firstly, God has a plan and he will fulfill that plan because it's ultimately his plan and he's sovereign over that plan. And God wants you to be a part of his plan. God wants to use you in unique ways to be a part of the unfolding of his plans in the earth. But the ultimate purpose and goal of his plans are that his name would be glorified. It's not for our praise and our glory it's not so that we would be known or seen it's it's not for any of those things it's for the praise and the glory of his name so God will fulfill his plan but his plans are about his glory his praise it's so that people would look at you and see your inadequacies see your weaknesses see how it should be impossible that anything good comes from you and when God does extraordinary things through you they 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 can't help but praise the name of God because they see it clearly. There's no way anything good could come from somebody like us. But our weakness is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. You know, there's a question we should always ask in our life. The question is this, does this exalt the name of Christ? 
does this exalt the name of Christ? You know, I think about that. I think about that often in my life. It's a, it's a question that I think about as, a, as I'm pastoring, as I'm leading, stepping into leading this church. That's one of the questions that drives me when I think about the, the, the decisions that we need to make as a church, as I need to make as a leader. That's the question I think about very often on a daily, weekly basis. Does this exalt Christ? That's the ultimate goal. That's what it's all about. It's about the exaltation of Christ. Thirdly, let's look at this, this last Last thought here. Let's look at John 7, 10 through 13. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, they quit pestering him to try to get glory for himself. They quit pestering him and they also went up. He went up with them, not publicly, but, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and they were saying, where is he? Where did, where did he go? Where is he? Where is, this, where is this Jewish man that does all these miracles? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray as a false prophet. Yet for, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So that, that word mutter, muttering, mutter, in Webster's Dictionary, this is what it means to, to mutter. To utter words indistinctly or in a low tone. Often as if talking to oneself, to murmur. It, wives in here, does your husband mutter? Does he speak in words that, to utter words indistinctly or in a low tone? <laughs> Does your husband ever do that? Does that bother you? My, my wife says that a lot. Ben, you, 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 you mutter. I can't understand you. You speak too low. You mutter. It's just this indistinct low tone. Any, any people get frustrated and, and you mutter? Some of you, hopefully you don't mutter curse words, but you're muttering in a low tone, often as if talking to oneself, murmuring, to complain murmuringly. Is that a word? It was in Webster's. Mur, 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 murmuringly. To grumble. To make a low rumbling sound. So they were muttering. They were doing this. They're muttering amongst themselves. And it says this. They didn't speak openly about him. Why? For fear of the Jews. So the ones that thought he was a good man. The ones that thought, man, he's doing some things that are amazing. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he's a good man. Maybe he's the Messiah. We need to check him out. They knew that the Jews hated him. There were Jews, there were Pharisees and scribes that hated him. And so they murmured about him. And this is the culmination of this whole flow of thought. God has a plan. He will fulfill his plans. His plans are that his name would be glorified. And so thirdly, the muttering, muttering must give way to praise. Muttering must give way to praise because God's plan is that the name of Jesus would be praised and glorified and honored. And that's the ultimate purpose of any of his plans is that through our lives, through my life, through your life, that, that we would influence people to the point where they would go from muttering to praise. They would go from grumbling and muttering and confusion about who Jesus is to openly, to speak openly about Jesus Christ. That's the goal of God's plan, the plan of God for the Son of God was for him to be lifted up in order for all men to be drawn to himself. And this is the point that Jesus was saying, it's not my time yet. If I go openly to the Jews, they're going to kill me. But I'm submitting to God's timetable, to his plan. I'm not going to get out ahead of God's plan. And ultimately, his, God's plan was for Jesus to be lifted up on the cross. And this is what we see in John 12, 
27 through 32. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Jesus is saying, my soul is deeply troubled. This is after, this is after the triumphal entry when Jesus has ridden in on the donkey. This is leading up to his arrest and trial. Now my soul is deeply troubled. And he, he asked the question, should I pray this? Is this what I should say? Father, save me from this hour. But what did Jesus have? He says, no, but this is the very reason I came. I want to submit to God's plan. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. That was God's plan, that Jesus would be lifted up. And that is ultimately God's plan because Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross. And he died for the sins of the world because of that and because Somebody preached the gospel to you and told you about God's plan for the Son of God. You came to faith in him. And now, you, before you knew Jesus, you had an idea about the plan for your life. You had ideas about what God had called you to do. But now, because you have seen the sovereign plan of God demonstrated through the life of Jesus Christ, taking the place for you and your sins on the cross, now, you submit By doing the ordinary things of the obedient Christian life, you submit to obeying him in the the ordinary ways, then God will unfold the unknown things of your life to ultimately bring glory to his name so that those around you can see a God that was lifted up for them. That's the pattern. That's, That's what it's all about. It's about us submitting to the sovereign plan of God so that others can, can find the, the same place that we found. Are you guys tracking with me? I know I kind of made a circle here. I started at one point and I kind of came through and now I'm coming back around. You guys following me? That's what it's all about. There's a lot of muttering people. You guys, met any, you guys work with any muttering people? They just murmur. They complain. They have no peace in their life. They mutter about things. And sometimes they may even mutter in sacrilegious ways using the name of Jesus in vain. And they're muttering about Jesus. They don't understand who he is. But God's working his sovereign plan in your life. He's using you in, when you submit to his word, to his ways, to honor him with your life. And next thing you know, you get a little bit further down the road and you realize all those things I was anxious about. Trying to figure out, God, how are you going to use me? I want you to use me. I want you to, to speak through me. I, I want to do this and I want to do that. All of a sudden, you just like, you look back like, wow, God, how did you do that? How did you get me here? How, how did you unfold that? I, I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to be able to influence that person or, or go there or do that. I mean, that's how it works. That's how it works. It's, it's, the Christian life is a life of what? Obedience and Faith. It's a life of faith. We trust the Lord day by day, moment by moment. And along the way, God uses us to point to a Savior that was lifted up, a Savior that submitted to God's plan. We submit to his plan so we can point to somebody who submitted to the Father's plan.
I want to read this in conclusion. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? These people that are muttering about themselves. What do what, what these muttering people say? Some say you're a good man. Some say you're evil. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said, he looked at his disciples. He said, yeah, I, that's, I, I, I get that. I know people's thoughts before they say it. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on what rock? The rock of revelation of Jesus Christ. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so that is the plan of God for us is that we would be used by God to see his church built. That we would be like Peter. That when people look at us and they say, who is the son of man? Who is this Jesus? That we would not have muttering lips, but that we would say, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And on that revelation, God's gonna build his church. He's gonna build his church universally, and he's gonna build his church specifically right here in Shriver, Louisiana. Off of Highway 311. He's going to build his church, right? He's going to build his church because ordinary people doing ordinary things who are, tend to get anxious and worried about the things they don't know, but they just stay faithful to obey God. They're going to not mutter about Jesus, but they're going to speak openly about who he is, and God's going to build his church, and God's going to use you. And you'll look back and you'll think, man, how did that happen? Isn't that good? We must be like Peter and openly declare the rock of revelation of Jesus Christ. God's perfect plans for his church will be fulfilled in his timing and no scheme of the enemy can stop it. Do you believe that? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, there's only one institution the Lord committed committed and declared he was gonna build. It's the church. The Lord is gonna build the church and the devil can't stop it. The government can't stop it the devil can't use the government to stop it. Because they, they, they tell us, if, if they tell us you've got to close your doors, if they say we're going to take away your tax-exempt status, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to, we're going to meet in, in our homes. And I, I'll go around and go house to house, and we'll, we'll do it through Facebook, or, or we'll, we'll simulcast some stuff somewhere. The, the, the devil's not going to stop the church. Why? Because the church is not a building. The church is me, and it's you. We are the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your plan. God, you have a plan, and it's a good plan. And your good plan is that we would be like Peter, that we would lift up our voices, and we would not mutter in low tones about who you are, but we would boldly declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the the living God. God, I thank you, Lord, that that is your plan for us. And God, I also know that there are There are other plans that you have for us, but ultimately all those plans are centered around that one central thought that you want to use us to point others to the Son of God that was lifted up on the cross. God, I pray that you'd help us not to lose sight of that, not to be anxious or worried about things we can't control, but to be faithful and obedient in what you called us to do. And along the way, God, you're going to reveal to us that 
All along the way, you've been with us and you've been ordering our steps and you've been using us in profound ways that we don't even recognize at times. Thank you for that truth and that revelation. We bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.